Hey, podcast family. Did you know that on May 2nd and 3rd, 2024, our 3D Growth Summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee? But in-person tickets are already sold out with nearly 400 attendees. But you don't have to miss out. You can get exclusive access to our live stream and post-event recordings for just $395. Yes, you heard that right. For a single fee, you and your entire dental team can learn from our industry leaders with online recordings available after the event. So secure your spot now before it's too late by visiting www.3d-dentist.com slash 3D Summit or give us a call at 855-332-2285 and get your tickets for the live stream and event recording today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal, where our goal is to change the way you practice dentistry by helping you achieve clinical, financial, and personal balance. Now, here's your host, T-Bone. All right, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. And today... I have got uh, Dr. Max Johnson with us. Uh, Max is a practicing dentist in Tucson, Arizona, pronounced Tucson. And um, I, I first met Max at one of our training courses here in Raleigh, and he's gone back and I followed him on Facebook and stuff. And I wanted to uh, bring him back on so that way we could um, kind of talk about what he's doing. So Max, welcome. Hey, thanks, Tun. I appreciate you having me on. So hey, where is your accent from, by the way? You know, it's probably Tucson. You know, but my my whole family's from North Dakota, so I think if anybody no, no, knows, that's what I hear. I hear the North Dakota yeah, in you. You get a little bit of it, especially this time of the year, because I've got family in town that's that come down for the winter months, and so spending time with grandpa and grandma, you get a little bit of that accent, <laughs> and don't you know? And and well, yeah. When my parents come to visit and stuff, I start getting the head bob and stuff. Yeah, you know, okay. okay. Yeah, <laughs> I start doing good. the Indian head bob and stuff. So. Oh, that, yeah, that's and, and especially too with the patients demographic and things that we see, we get a lot of people that come from the upper north, so Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, and so it, after a full day of working with them, you, you pick up the accent and they find yourself speaking just like they do by the end of the day. So it it happens certainly. So you're probably just catching that, and it's probably got a little bit of Texas in it because you know I grew up in Texas before moving out here to Arizona. So I spent 12 or 13 years in Texas. So it's maybe a little bit of a hybrid between... Speaking of which, have they started building the wall out where you're at? <laughs> the wall actually <laughs> exists down here. No, coincidentally, for most of the most of the state, there's just little parts here and there on, on some of the tribal lands and things that actually doesn't have a wall. But that's, uh, for whatever reason, apparently Tucson and uh, there's a small town called Nogales, maybe about an hour south of here where uh, apparently that's the popular place to do news footage from or shoot video from because we, we've had a ton of people here from news organizations and things in, in the area and going down to film segments and things on the walls. So we'll see how things are going. I know I read an article about Texas, so we'll see how they do out there going forward. But I know there is a literal wall. If I drive here to San Diego, you drive along the actual wall. Is it beautiful from the U.S. side? <laughs> it looks no different from one side to the other. <laughs> I, I've heard stories of people driving across without even knowing it. Yeah, at this point, there's not much difference when you look across the border. Well, you know, uh, to our listeners, uh, uh, all joking aside, I wanted to bring Max on because uh, what I've seen as as a young practitioner, uh, I see him doing unique and neat things. 
that are helping his practice grow. I see him implementing uh, some of the things that older dentists wish should be implementing and aren't implementing. And I see him implementing at a high level. And quite honestly, what I, my take on you, Max, um, and we haven't spent a lot of time personally together, but my take on you is from your Facebook is that you're trying things. You're not, you're not afraid to try things, see if it happens, see if it sticks, uh, see if it works. So I wanted to bring that on and kind of get an idea of somebody that, okay, basically, um, a lot of our focus will be on sleep with you. Uh, not a lot, but we'll, we'll, we'll start with that. Uh, for somebody that was doing essentially no sleep to yeah. someone now that's doing a, a good, a good number of sleep, at least for a newbie in that, I think that would be fantastic. But before yeah. we get started there, tell me, tell me who is Max Johnson and, you know, briefly, how'd you get into dentistry and how'd you end up in Tucson? So I am a person who grew up, like I said, in Texas. I parents, I have no medical personnel in the family at all. My mom's an accountant. Dad works for the government. And so growing up, it was just something simple. And, and you know what? Dentistry for me came about, in all honesty, it might be kind of silly, but dentistry came about because I knew I wanted to do something medically related coming into college and things. Going into it, I was doing playing some sports there at the university and uh, just kind of happened to go through the, the prerequisites for anything medical. And as I was going through it, I met my dentist here in the area. And every time I seemed to visit him, he was up front drinking coffee and uh, reading the paper. And I thought, shoot, if he's sitting here doing this all day, this might be the thing. Was he an orthodontist? No, no, he was a general <laughs> practitioner. But but he had, you know, his dad was a dentist, his brother was a dentist, so his whole family were dentists. So he was just hanging out, living the life. And I thought, man, if that's what it means to be a dentist, that seems pretty nice. I could, I love to read in the paper. I love coffee. So for me, that was a good deal. So I thought, well, let's, let's see what this is all about. So when I was in school, I, I ended up quit playing football so I could focus on the grades because I realized how how I had to do in school to be able to get into dental school. So I, I focused on things, and I was fortunate enough to get in. And as I got in, I you know, the more I do, have practiced and the more I do in dentistry, the more I actually really, really enjoy what I do. Um, and so I'm fortunate in the sense that I was happened to stumble into it, but it's really paid off in spades for me. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate and very thankful to what I have here in the office and, and here as a professional career. But for me, you know what, I, I practice down here in Tucson, Arizona. I've got a wife who's also a dentist here. We've got a, a six-month-old. And, and so for me, it's just a matter of playing dad a couple, you know, whenever I get the opportunity to when I'm not working. I do enjoy quite a bit of fitness and things. So I was a big runner all the way through dental school. And me too. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. I see. Well, and, and you and I may be on the same track because I think I'm, I'm heading a certain kind of weight these days. So I recently picked up cycling. I just got bored running every day, so I picked up cycling. So I've done some cycling and things here. In Tucson's a great place for that. So I'm able to get out on the road a couple of days a week and ride the bike, and, and so I've started doing that. And, and so it's been a great time, you know. And, and actually, I started golfing a little bit, so I know different things. We so have to I, play. I, Hey, anytime, man. I, you know what? I, I did a little bit in high school and a little bit in college after I quit playing football because I needed something athletic. And, uh, now that I, I've got a little bit more time and I'm not in school or not doing different things, I can actually get out and play a little bit. And I'm fortunate my office is maybe a stone's throw from the course. So I literally walk over if I want to at the end of the day and play nine. So it's, uh, mm. it's been a good deal. So, but yeah. how old are you, Max? I am, I just turned 30 years old as of February. So I'm a ripe old age of 30. And so you are a practice owner. I am. Yep, and you've I, owned your, how long have you owned your practice? So I have just started year three. I bought the office in January of 2015. So two, we've had two years finished. So you were 27? I was 27 when I bought it. Yep. Okay. So you went to dental school at UNLV. Mm -hmm. You graduated what year? 
I graduated 2013 from UNLV. Okay, 2013, you graduated UNLV, and then after that, you did a GPR? Correct. I was graduating dental school, and I thought, you know what, I, I spent my entire time in the west or southwest part of the country, and so for me, I wanted to take the opportunity to just see a completely different aspect of things, see a different side of dentistry. I'd heard rumors that the East Coast dentistry was different than West Coast dentistry, you know, kind of like <laughs> East Side rap. versus West Side. Yeah, exactly. Thought kind of like the rap gap battle. Tupac so versus uh, Biggie. There you go. So I thought I'd go out east and see what the see what all the hype was about. So I applied to GPR programs up and down the East Coast and uh, was fortunate to to get into my top choice there. And I ended actually spent it up spending the year in Allentown, Pennsylvania at the Lehigh Valley Hospital and, and general practice residency there in Pennsylvania. So I spent a year out there just doing some different things at a hospital and, and enjoying that. Really got a good, yeah, very, very good education with the time I was there. So I'm Do you regret fortunate. going to a GPR at all? Not at all. You know what? That's, you know, I graduated in a position at school where I, I had some options and things. I, I was fortunate enough to do well enough in dental school that I could kind of pick and choose what I wanted to do. And, and I knew I wanted to do general dentistry. I didn't want to specialize just because of the fact that I enjoyed doing a little bit of everything. And so when I went into practice, I thought, well, I've got some time. I can spend a year doing some different things and learning some more without the pressures of having to pay back student debt, without having to produce or or do dentistry for a, a corporation, you know, so to speak. So I, I spent the time out east, and I got a, a ton of information, a ton of education that I maybe wouldn't have gotten if I jumped right into practice. So I'm very fortunate, very happy with my experience out at the GPR and really appreciated the time that it allowed me to gain more information and really develop as a clinician. Did you learn IV sedation there? So I didn't learn how to. I did do some IV sedation. The way that the hospital program worked is we had anesthesiologists come down okay. to the emergency room or we'd go up into the ER and operate there. But I didn't myself do any of the actual sedation, no. But I think that was probably the one thing that I didn't do. And uh, surgically, you guys did wisdom teeth and everything? Anything and everything you wanted to. And that was the, the big thing for me was we, we've got a, a great team of people who volunteer their time there at the hospital. And so it was nice that I could go in there. Any case that you felt, you know, like you wanted to try or attempt, you just had to set it up on the appropriate day with the appropriate kind of faculty overseeing you. And, and they were more than willing to share you with their time and to help you kind of proceed through cases and, and treatment plan and do those types of things. And so, you know, whether it's impacted wisdom teeth, surgery, um, implants, anything I wanted to try or do, they were all up for and they, they more than donated their time. So it got to do anything and everything I really wanted to. The other nice thing was the hospital had its own kind of internal health insurance and dental insurance program. And so we, when we talked about treatment plans and presenting treatment, the money was really not a big hindrance to being able to do the types of dentistry and doing the types of things that we wanted to there at the program. So it allowed me the chance to just treatment plan what I wanted to do and, and work with the patient to come up with the best treatment plans for them and then go through that process of getting it taken care of. And it gave me the experience to do almost, you know, give me a full scope of dentistry. So wow, that's awesome. Yeah. No, it was fantastic. And when you take money out of the equation, it makes for a good experience with, for patients and, and them not having to really pay for a whole lot of the treatment. <laughs> it, you, you get some good options. You get some good things that you can do for patients. Yeah. So, all right. So after GPR, you went back to Tucson or you went to Tucson. Yep. Yep. My whole family's here. So I, I decided I had a good time out on the East Coast, but the snow was not for me. When, when I wake up and it's zero degrees, I thought that's, that's a little cold for me. So I moved back here to Tucson and, and, uh, started working for a corporation on a full-time basis as I looked for a potential practice to buy. So you knew right out of GPR that you wanted to buy a practice? 
Yeah, coming out of dental school, I had seen things and, you know, talking to the dentist that inspired me to become a dentist, seeing how he ran things and seeing how his experience and things were. I, it was one of the things that I knew coming out of it. I didn't want to be an associate. I didn't want to work for somebody else in some in any capacity for that matter. And so I knew right out of the boat that I wanted to be an owner. It's just a matter of how I got to ownership. And so it was a thing of, can I find somebody who is at a point in their career where they're ready to retire and I can transition in as an associate with the potential to own? Or do I find somebody who's just, you know, they, they're ready to retire and that was that. And so the market here in Tucson was such that not a lot of older dentists were ready to transition. They either wanted to be done and retire right away or they weren't ready to sell at all. And so for me, there wasn't that intermediary ground where I could buy somebody's practice or buy into a practice with a phased out approach. So why didn't you I, consider opening from scratch or did you? I didn't even think about it to be completely honest. As I think back now in hindsight, that might have been a, a more viable option, but the, the market here in Tucson, Tucson's not a very big community and it, it's kind of a unique dental community in the sense that you have, I feel like a lot of dentists who maybe they, they come from other parts of the country. They retire, say, you know, they retire from the North and they move here as a semi-retirement, and they maybe work for another decade or so before permanently retiring. So there are a lot of older dentists. So the potential to buy practices is very high here in town. And so it's, it's I think, for, for me, as I looked at it and evaluated, and it may have been I just naive. I didn't know better at the time. But as I came out here, I, I was looking at there were a handful of practices for sale. And so I didn't even feel the need, maybe, if 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 there wasn't anything that I could find that I liked or anything out there that was working for me, from a practice standpoint, then then I think I might have considered startup. But, you know, with, with where I was at personally, I don't know if startup would have been a viable option. I, I think that same year as I bought the practice in 15, I also got married in 15. Uh, we My wife got pregnant in 2015. I bought a house in 2015. So I, I went full bore 2015. And so for me, economically, by, uh, starting a practice from scratch might have been a little tough. Because I know there are some cash flow and some things required. And so when this practice actually came about that I'm in now, it, it actually kind of worked out or it seemed to be kind of an ideal circumstance. So I just continued to roll with that and work towards practice ownership of the one I'm in now. All right. So let's talk about your practice since we're there. Uh, how yeah. would you how would you describe your practice? So we are a practice that I, that I would consider as a patient-centered or patient-oriented full-service dental practice. Uh, we offer essentially anything and everything to, to patients. I, I generally tend to keep most things in-house. I have ten, tended recently to kind of get away from endo because we found an endodontist that's just uh, maybe two blocks away that does a fantastic job, and he's much more efficient at it than I am. And so I just simply haven't had the time. To when you say that. efficient, what do you mean by that? Well, he's able to have patients in and out of the door and able to see patients same day for me and, and be done with their you know the RCT in about an hour. And so for me, it's, it's been much more economically viable to have patients go over there, take the half mile road up or drive up the road to see him, have the RCT completed and then come back and see me for the, the crown buildup or, or whatever necessitated following his treatment. Because for me, as I've looked at things and after, you know, the time that I've spent looking at and trying to provide endo as a service here in the practice, I, I just wasn't efficient enough. I couldn't make it work at dollars and cents. And part of that comes down to the, the fee schedules and the insurance profile that I had to begin when I opened the practice. Uh, part of that is the fact that we just, the demographics that we see, most patients are 60 to 80 years old with crowns and that are on the teeth or existing crowns and, and canals that are calcified and closed shut. So for me, it was a, it made just more sense and it was less stress on me personally as a, as a provider in the practice 
than trying to sit there and fiddle with these, then I can just send them out and have somebody else take care of it for me, do it better, do it faster, and, and do it easier for the patient. You mean there's no young people in Tucson? There, there are. There are certainly young people in Tucson. I think when you look at where I'm at, so I'm kind of on the outside of town here in the suburbs, in the northwest part of town, and where I'm at, I'm situated kind of between a about three or four different retirement communities. So the younger population and the younger demographics here in the, in the area tend to skew more central Tucson. So we certainly do see some, you know, younger families and things, but for the most part, the patients that I see tend to be older. Now, having said that, I, the only thing that I don't do endodontically are, root, are molars. I'll do everything else, anti, premolars, anteriors, and, and whatnot. Oh, so I you do the easy ones. Yeah, I do the easy ones. Easier, I should say. Uh, yeah, but so we do, you know, I do anteriors, I do premolars and things. Now, having said that, if patient asks me to do it, I have no, you know, no problem doing molars. It's just... For the for the time it takes me to do it, I'd have to book out a little bit. Are you a Seric office? I am not a Seric office. Nope. But I, I've got a unique perspective on it, and I think in a sense that the the practitioner that was here before I bought the office did have a Seric. He purchased the Seric, oh shoot, maybe eight months before deciding to sell the the office. So he had a, a nice new, brand new loan to it, and a nice note on that Seric and the milling unit, and he actually took that with him when he left. And, and went on to his next gig. And so I, I've seen some of the, eh, I'd like to say I've seen more of the bad than the good here in the practice. But he was only eight months in. He was eight months in, but I, you know, in that eight months, I spent some of the first year, uh, maybe correcting some of the things. Let me ask you this. When you buy a practice and you see old, I didn't buy a practice. I started from scratch and okay. you see older dentistry from your predecessor, um, that's failing or let's say not even older dentistry, but relative to the newer dentistry. Mm-hmm. Are, are you obligated to redo that at no charge? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, podcast family. T-Bone here to talk about the 3D Dentist Digital Implant Continuum. Are you ready to start placing dental implants but feeling a bit hesitant and or overwhelmed? I know that feeling. I've been there. Let's change that together. Imagine not just learning about dental implants in a classroom, but actually performing surgeries on real patients right here in North Carolina, guided every step of the way by our expert 3D mentors. This is dental implant learning at its best, using techniques that are safe, predictable, and confidence-boosting. They're exactly what I use in my own practice, so you know they work. Our course goes beyond clinical skills. We prepare you to successfully integrate high-demand implant services into your practice, transforming your career by attracting new patients and elevating your practice. And it doesn't end with the course. Completing our program is just the beginning of a new journey. You'll be a part of a community of confident, skilled dentists with ongoing support to ensure lasting success and growth. After all, this is about mastering a skill that can transform your career just like it did for me. So, are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Visit www.3d-dentist.com, check out our upcoming sessions, and join us to revolutionize your practice. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. So I think it comes down to your personal preference. I think looking at it, we had a worked out arrangement that he was going to go ahead and, and remill. So any of the Sarics that he did, he would remill and, and cement on his own dime because he had the unit. He could mill them out and have it to go and, and be ready. 
Now, the problem with, came about the fact that he was maybe an hour away from the practice now. And so I'm not going to, you know, send a patient an hour away to get a crown remade for them. So what I ended up doing is a lot of the time, if it was within the, within the last two years, or if I deemed it a mechanical failure, much less more of a biological failure, then I would just replace it at, at no charge to the patient. I'd eat the cost on the lab bill and just get it replaced because I thought it, their their time and effort was more valuable to me than, than having to send them somewhere else. So I valued them hmm. being able to trust me and, and get the quality that I thought was appropriate out of their crown and get the longevity and the, you know, the sustainability out of it than me sending them somewhere else to have the same poor crown remade, maybe. I got so you. for me, I didn't mind remaking it. I think it, it stunk because I, I could tell you there were maybe a, a dozen or two dozen crowns that I remade over the first year. Oh, that's and not that bad. Not that bad. Or, well, hey, I'll take that then. But you know, it, when it, when another one failed, it was a little frustrating because I, you know, you re-impress. You have to explain to the patient, hey, you know, you had this crown done six months ago or eight months ago. It fell off or it broke in half. I'm gonna have to, you know, send this back out or get a new crown made that's maybe a little bit more durable or or whatever the case may be. And so patients, I think, understood and they appreciated it, but I think for them, they were kind of a little annoyed that they had to have a brand new crown remade. But it, it since worked out. I think now, you know, after two years of it, now we're into year three, I think the we, we are hard-pressed to find any issues or any concerns now after this point in time. So we've kind of weeded out those cases that were maybe not ideal for Sarek, or, or, and you may be a better judge of it than I, but that, that just didn't work out the way that it was maybe intended when the, when the crown was milled originally. All right. So talk to me about your procedure mix in the practice, you know, when you bought it and say now. Yeah, of course. So when I bought the practice, the the office itself was doing some Invisalign. The, the previous dentist was doing some implant placements and things. I think he was relatively new in, in the surgical aspect of it. He was doing the Seric unit crowns and things. Uh, when, and so when I bought it, I didn't have any Invisalign training. I had I didn't have any Invisalign training. I'd done implants, but with the way that our practice sale worked out, he had to keep a lot of the equipment to make the note work and to make the sale work. So heaping his endo equipment, he ended up keeping his implant equipment. I'm not an Invisalign provider, so a lot of those things didn't carry over. Luckily, we didn't have any active Invisalign cases and things. So when I jumped into the practice, I offered essentially just a general restorative practice with the addition of six-month smiles because I had taken the course back in November. I had done some different things to, to get ready for it, but I hadn't actually started any cases. And so when I jumped into the practice, I we ended up purchasing the endodontic equipment again. So we had endo equipment, and we, we had our short-term ulcer that we were offering patients right off from the get-go. As the year progressed, we ended up purchasing the implant motor and implant equipment. And so that was maybe the fall of 15 that we started offering implants as a service here in the practice. Even though you had done some in your residency? Correct. Yeah. It, it just economically, I didn't have the cash flow to buy the equipment necessary to do the placements and things. So a lot of that first year was spent referring out to the local oral surgeon to have implants. Oh, placed. so you did a lot of custom abutments and cemented restorations. Exactly. <laughs> on angled implants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was my first year is essentially just referring out a lot of the cases that I thought, you know, shoot, this is something I could have easily done had I had the equipment. So when we got to a point where we paid off the endo equipment, then I turned around and bought surgery equipment. And, and so now we have worked on that. And we, so we've been offering implants for the last year and, and some change now. And then uh, as of August last year when I came out to your course, that's when we started to offer sleep apnea here in the practice and doing some things from that aspect of, of things. And we started medical billing for a lot of the procedures come as of November. Okay. And that was at your course as well. So I would like to say there isn't anything I won't do. I, I 
I do as much. What do you enjoy as- doing though? I really do enjoy the surgical aspect of things. So for me, implants are a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy that because it, for me, that's something different than the just the. But it helps that they pay well too. Right, <laughs> that's a nice little bonus. Yeah, I could imagine. And so that, and then the other thing is short-term ortho. I enjoy it not so much for the, you know, I want this tooth turned or that tooth turned. I enjoy it because it allows me to do some different things with the surgical cases that we do here in the practice. Right. It gives you so, flexibility even on your cosmetic restorative cases. Exactly. You know, I've used it, I, I've used it a lot to try to get teeth uprighted in the anterior to make space for an implant placement. I've done some things in that regard or just moving a few things here or there. So for me, those two in combination work well. And that's, and sleep apnea has been a thing that I've, you know, I've really taken a hold to, and it may just be coincidence that we're talking about it, but, you know, from my personal family's history, I think, you know, growing up, I've heard mom and dad snore and woke me up. You know, I'm sitting there trying to watch TV and mom's snoring on the couch next to me. It <laughs> makes things tough. So when, when this came about, it was a, it was a welcomed offering and, and something I took a hold to because it's personal. I think when you think about what, what it can do for you and both in a, in a mental state and a health state, I think it's something that I really enjoy doing. So the, those are kind of the three things that I really enjoy, and I I think any general practitioner. Which uh, which uh, ortho class did you take? So I did the I did the six month smiles. Okay. So I've I've done six month smiles, and that's who we we've, we've continued to use. Right, I did that like I said maybe November of fifth or November actually of fourteen. So I did that prior to ever purchasing the practice because I knew that was going to be something that I wanted to be able to offer. So while I was an employee, I went out and sought out and paid for the course out of pocket and just took the course to be able to gift that as an option when I bought into the practice or bought a practice. So we did that and, and who we've set with since we do do some short term stuff through great lakes and some little, little things here on the side. But for the most part, the, the orthos offerings that we have here in the practice are through six months miles. So you don't do a lot of Invisalign. Then one of those things that I wanted to do, I just haven't done the course for it yet. It's on the to do list. I've got a wish list of, of CE stuff that I want to do. And it's just a matter of prioritizing what I want to do. Let's talk about your wish list. What is your wish list? Yeah, of course. So for me, you know, if if you don't mind names and things. I no, no, I don't mind at all. Okay. So for me, one of the big things is Justin Moody's course. He's okay, you want to take the Implant Pathway course? That That's on my to-do list here as, as I go through things. Just because I've done a lot of the simple implant stuff. Most of what we do here is, is graft and replace type implants. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done, we're getting into, or I should say I'm getting more into the immediate placements of implants, but I don't do any of the full arch type stuff. I don't do any sinus lifts and things. And so those are types of things that I'd like to be able to offer patients here in the practice. And we just haven't gotten to that level yet. So that's one thing that I'd like to be able to do. The, the Invisalign is another thing because there are some patients that are adverse to brackets and things, regardless of how, uh, you know, aesthetic they may be considered. Patients don't want the, the, that kind of thing. Some of the stuff with, with more complex restorative things being, like I said, with the demographics that we see, the older population, we do get a lot of patients that come in with, you know, they've had one crown every three or four years. And so when you look back at it now, you've got uh, an occlusal plane that's all over the place. So maybe like uh, out in New Jersey, I'm drawing a blank on his name all of a sudden. Not Kois, but uh, Nasty. John no, Nasty. John Nasty, yeah. Yeah, he's got some stuff out the there. The clinical mastery, I think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I know I came That's John, Leanne Brady, and a couple yeah. other people, yeah. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, podcast family. T-Bone here, bringing you our newest live patient implant training, Full Arch Express. For dentists already placing implants and ready to level up and continue building their implant practice, this is the golden ticket. We're diving deep into full arch implants, the hottest game changer in implant dentistry. 
In this program, we tackle both overdentures and all annex fixed hybrids, mastering techniques that are essential for modern, comprehensive dental care. It's about getting your hands on the tools and techniques that will replace the doubt and fear with confidence and predictability. Here's the kicker. There's live patient training right here in North Carolina. You're not just learning theories. You're in the operatory doing real work on real patient from start to finish, guided one-on-one by our expert 3D mentors. You'll learn the nuances of each approach, ensuring you can cater to a wide range of patients to maximize revenue. Speaking of revenue, with me, you know it's not just about the clinical skills. We're bringing business into this aspect too, teaching you how to integrate these advanced services profitably into your practice. So are you ready to rise up to the top in implant dentistry? Join us at the Full Arch Express. This isn't just another course. It's a career-defining leap. Head to www.3d-dentist.com to enroll in our next session. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now, back to this week's episode. Yeah, there's a group of four of them. I did their stuff at the Dental Town Conference last year, so I know I want to get out there at some point to do some of their stuff. And Spear's not too far from you as well. No, I do I do Spear stuff online right now. Okay. I do like online things and their CE there, so I do that on a frequent basis. But yeah, I agree. Getting up to the actual Spear Institute to do some of their things there in person and some of their live sessions would be a big benefit to me here in the practice. So those are probably the big four, I think, as I think back to what I'd like to do. And, and maybe even continuing with the short-term ortho stuff, being able to offer more complex cases or, or take that level two course from Six Months Miles just to be able to be more confident in what we're doing here in the practice, if maybe be able to finish cases a little faster or be more, you know, as we're talking about some of the cases and things, be more confident and talk to patients about what we can offer them. Yeah, and then what thoughts have you given in terms of, like, courses that help you um – Talk to patients better in communication and treatment planning, treatment presentation courses. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think looking at it, I've, I've really just been, it's been nothing other than books. Like uh, what? There's the, there's a guy out of England. He's got two books. Oh, Ashley Ladder? Yes, thank you. Ashley Ladder. I've read his books. Um, I've read some different things like the E-Myth Revisited things. You know, one of the other things too, from an educational perspective, is just listening to podcasts. I'm a big podcaster, and that's I think how you, how I came about or came familiar with you. And so I listen to podcasts every day on the way back and forth from work and things. Uh, I'm trying to get some experience from listening to pay, to other practitioners or clinicians who have been doing it longer than I, trying to hear what works for them and what doesn't work for them. But from a simply just a patient management or patient educational standpoint, really I, I don't have anything that I've come across that I've thought, you know what, this is something I want to do or, or even something I've made, been made aware of. And, and I'm not averse to it. So if there's yeah. something that you've got. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Love, I, I Shoot, I'd love the opportunity. Yeah, you know, I think uh, the reason I asked about that is um, yeah. it's an area of um, personal frustration for me, uh, having had associates your age in my practice. Mm-hmm. And what I found is most people, not just your age, actually any age, uh, they spend very little time on learning how to communicate with patients and how to lead patients to accept treatment. Personally, I don't think there's anybody better at it than Paul Homley. You know, I think uh, buy 10 bucks for his um, six-hour MP3 file yeah. at, at paulhomley.com is great. I think 20 bucks for his book 
you can get on Amazon is great. And then certainly from there, if you want to take some of his workshops, uh, th- those would be great recommendations. I think um, what, uh, what you'll see since you offer such a broad range of services is going to be that um, you're going to have to start what I call shifting your practice to the right. You're going to have to start learning that there's the general part of your practice and a non-general part of your practice. And you're going to have to start recognizing those people. And you're going to have to start understanding that your communication skills to those right-sided patients is going to be very different than the communication skills to your left-sided patients. And you're going to have to understand that you have to take people through the four quadrants, which is people that are aware of their problems and don't want to do anything about it versus people that are unaware and don't know what's going on versus being aware and not wanting to do something versus being aware and wanting to do something about it. So there's things like that. Uh, you know, some of his stuff can be sometimes a little bit, it can come across a little bit cheesy, but I, I, I find it, even at this stage, let's see, I first took his class probably eight years ago now, nine uh-huh. no, 10 years ago. Wow. 10 years ago. Uh, I still read his book every year. Do you really just reread it, huh? Yeah, I reread his book and I re-listen to his MP3 file. I would say that having invested in the time and the energy in that has paid off spades for me in terms of my ability to communicate and recognize what the patient's fit issue, what the true chief complaint is, um, you know, what their hot buttons are, things like that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that are fantastic. And, you know, and I just bought some of Ashley Ladder's stuff as well. I haven't made it through it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't actually unwrapped it yet, but uh, that that is hopefully on vacation next week. I can get through some of that. Let me ask you this then. So, you know, you're at a point in your career where you've done a few things that I haven't. So how much of this, you know, learn, because that's a big thing for me is, is I've being in the practice for the two years that I have. I, I know there's a, I can see it in myself. There's a big difference from the first year being a young clinician, trying to talk to patients who, and you're trying to explain things. And so I'm figuring it out almost as just as much as they are. And so, how much of it did you, do you find that you learn on the job or as you go through <laughs> things every year? And how much of it is something that I can learn in a book or how much, cause I, yeah. you know, you can read until you're, you're, you know, until you're blue in the face, but there's that transition where you've actually got to implement it. And so, you know, how much of that comes from each side of the thing, do you think? Uh, let me give you a political answer. Okay. And that, my intention isn't <laughs> to be that, but it, it's both because. You know, my dad used to tell me that, uh, it's funny, I just interviewed uh, an, another associate tonight because I want to add a second dentist, i uh, sorry, a third dentist to the practice, but that's a different story. You have to have both. You can't put the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse, and, and they kind of simultaneously go together. Uh, uh-huh. My dad used to get on me about all the clinical education I was taking very early in my career. And he's like, why are you wasting so much money and time on this when you don't have the patience to even do the work? And, uh, and I, what I, what I would always come back with was, well, if I don't know what it is I can do, I can never see it and diagnose it. So if all you have is a hammer, all you have is a nail, all you see are nails. And so I want to have a whole toolbox. So, so part of the challenge is, is making good choices in your CE and making practical choices in your CE. And so, you know, I would look at you and say, to be honest with you, one of the first things you should learn how to do with everybody is learn how to communicate better. Then you need to learn how to do molar endo in an efficient manner. And then I would start looking at how can I expand services? Uh, soft tissue grafting, you know, uh, more sinus lifts, external sinus lifts, uh, things like that that support some of the procedures that you're doing. Uh, maybe some adolescent orthodontics, uh, 
uh, things like that that start expanding the practice and adding uh, more things that you do. So it, it's about making the right choices and then also um, having a good mix of CE that you can actually do. So let me ask you this, because this is something I struggle with personally with regards to CE, is, you know, I've got a wide variety, or I'd like to think I have a wide variety of services that we offer here in the practice. Now, at this point in, in things, do you think it's better to focus on what I'm already doing and get better at what I'm already doing, or or to continue to expand, like you referred to, continue to, to look into... Why can't you do both? Well, it, it's just the thing. I mean, when you have, when you're looking at it, time and money play a part into things. And so when you're considering your CE list for the year, for example, because I like to plan out, we, we plan out things here in the practice six months in advance or things. And so you have to find out. <laughs> it's one of those things, you know, I, there's only so much time. And so as I look at it, I've been trying to expand services for the last two years after buying into the practice. And so now it's, do I sit back and maybe not expand as much and maybe improve the quality of what I'm offering? Or do I continue to expand or, or some sort of the both, some sort of a hybrid in the sense that continue to expand while at the same time improving and continuing to take courses on things I'm already doing? Look, there's no right or wrong answer to this, okay? Mm -hmm. no, and, but the, 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 actually, the, the right answer is you do both. You do everything, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you get better and you do more. Right. But, but see, I, I always look at it as you have to practice within your market. So, for example, let, let's just go with this, okay? You practice in a market of 50-plus-year-olds. Okay, your patient, typical patient base, okay? So for you to go learn how to do adolescent orthodontics may not make the most sense, okay? Because that's probably not a service that really fits your practice profile, okay? So to me, I, I would look at it uh, from that perspective. I would, you know, I would say, okay, so so the implant pathway program makes sense uh, because you can expand your implant services, and that seems to fit the age group and the market that you're in. You seem to be doing well with the sleep, so I would continue to learn and advance on the sleep thing. And so I, I would kind of fine-tune what I expand on, but at the mm -hmm. same time bringing in uh, a little bit more. And, and it's a little bit hard for me to say this because everything's in context. I'm at a, a – I don't want to say age. I mean, I'm only 41 years old, <laughs> okay? But I'm at a, I'm at a career stage where my focus now is, is to tr truly love and enjoy – everything that I do. Uh -huh. uh, so, so everything for me is about finding my why or finding my, what I love to do. And okay. for you, that's part of it, but it's also about, Hey, I got a practice note. I got a life. I got a wife. I got kids. You know, I, it's, it's not as, you know, these decisions when I was your age were not the same decisions I was making today. So, you know, as a person that gives advice, I have to kind of keep some of that in mind as well. Uh, it's again, going back to, it's about choices you make, you know? So I, I would say that your choices should always be made with in mind of what will this do to my practice or what, how will this benefit my practice and my patients? Okay. So, okay. So we mentioned, I mentioned wife. So you had mentioned briefly that your wife is a dentist. Mm -hmm. Did you guys meet in dental school? So we did. Yep. She actually graduated in 2015. So she's a newer graduate even than I am. So when you were in Philadelphia, when you were in Pennsylvania, she was in dental school? Yep. I, I made many a, uh, a red eye from Vegas back to Philly and back and forth. At least it's a nonstop flight. It, it was pretty easy. I fly into, fly into Vegas and then back into Philly and, and drive up to, to work the next morning. So it, it worked out pretty well, but I, I certainly made my fair share of flights. And thank God for FaceTime, because that came about shortly before and, and grew into popularity 
while she was in school and things. And so we were able to FaceTime most nights and see each other, much like I'm seeing your smiling face now. (laughs) And so, and so, uh, that's, that's kind of how we made that work. And then when I moved back to Tucson in, in, in 2014, then it just made it a different trip. Instead of flying back and forth from Philly, I drove up and back from Tucson to Vegas, made the five hour trip every other week and, and just spent time together on the weekends when we could because she was still in dental school. That's good. And so yeah. does she work in your practice? So no, no, <laughs> not at all. We both agreed coming into it that, that I was going to do my thing. She was going to do her thing. And, and so we never actually practiced together. And I don't think we ever will. She's, uh, I've learned she's much more cutthroat when it comes to business than I am. And you so, want that in your practice. I, you know, yeah, I didn't say it was wrong, but, uh, I, I tend to be, you know, the, the guy that's, Hey, you know, that's okay. We'll get you next time. Or, Hey, there's no worry. Don't worry about that, that charge or this charge. And so when I go home and tell her that I, I certainly get a good stern talking to about what I need to be billing for and why I didn't bill for this or that. So I, I do get my fair share. So we just agreed going into it that, you know what, I'll let her do her and I'll do me. And, and so we get to come home at every night and talk. talk and about so she things. works for someone else or she has her own practice? Nope. She's an employee for a small corporation here on the West, in the Western region. When you say small corporation, what is that? 30 offices? Uh, yeah, roughly. They're, they're primarily based out of Colorado, New Mexico. So what, when did, when did 30 offices become small? <laughs> Well, I guess in the relative. No, it, yeah, you're right. In, in the scheme of things, it is a pretty, you know, small size DSO. When you have the Aspens and the Pacifics or the Hartmans in the world, they, they are uh, what I would, you know, consider a large group practice or large DSO. But uh, so they, she works for uh, Perfect Teeth, is a company based out of uh, Colorado. And she enjoys it. I think it allows her the freedom to do the types of things that she wants to do. So she, she doesn't have to stress out about being a practice owner. She doesn't have to worry about doing all the odds and ends that come with a, being a business owner. Do you ever wish you were like that sometimes? Mm-hmm. No. To, you know, I, I got to experience it for the first six months after dental school. You know, when I first moved back before I purchased the office, it, it comes with freedom, but you got to, it's a trade off. You know, you're, you're employees. So at the time when you want to take trips or want to do things with the family, you've got to ask permission. And so for me, that was the biggest thing that I just didn't want to have to do. I, I don't want to have to ask anybody permission if I want to take a trip and go do this or, or you know, go. We, my wife and I, we take a trip every year and, and go somewhere out of the country and just spend time together for 10 days. And so with me being a practice owner, I can basically set my own schedule and say, hey, I'm leaving this time. You know, don't put anybody on the books for this period of time. and I'm going to be out of country. And so for me, that's what I wanted. And it allowed me the flexibility. For her, it's a little bit different. She doesn't have to stress about being owner. She doesn't have to worry about making payroll and things at the end of the week. And, and so she's able to show up at 8 o'clock, walk off at 5 o'clock, and then get to spend time with our kid and, and just enjoy not having to do all those other odds and ends that come with being an owner. So, do you guys talk a lot of dentistry at home? More than I'd like, maybe. More than I say we should, but yeah, we talk oh, about Oh, you things. should be talking about dentistry all the time, man. Well we, well, we share cases and we share experiences and things. You know, how would you handle this or what would you do about that? And, and so, yeah, we give each other some Do you get tips from her? No, I don't use the word tips, but... No, no, that's a fair step. Yeah, she gives me some things that she's done in, in, in practice that I think, you know... But I, even I'd from like, a business perspective, you know, listen, large group practices, whatever we say about them, the one thing they do know how to do, and that is, run, generally speaking, run very efficient practices. Oh, no doubt. And, and I think part of that, you know, part of the benefit having worked for... The, the same company because I worked for the same company that okay. she's now employed for, and I did that for I worked full time for them for six months, and then when I bought the practice or after I bought the practice, I worked for them part time for eighteen months. 
So I got a good exposure to what they do and how they do it. So you can see what works from a big practice standpoint and what works from a business standpoint. So, uh, yeah, I like talking to her and saying, hey, this is what we started doing. It's always nice because I kind of feel like I'm cheating the system because I get to, to see how they're doing things and what's working for them. And, you know, maybe they quit doing something a certain kind of way and they, she'll explain why. And so I've taken some of what I learned while I was an employee and implemented it here into the practice, whether that's how we do payroll or how we handle staffing and things. So, so those are some of the things that I had knew nothing about going into it. But then after working for them part of the time, I got to see how they handled certain aspects, and I just tried to copy it because I'm, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel by any means. And so looking at what works, I just I do it here in my practice. And so talking to her, you know, I'll run ideas. And the other thing, too, from, from her, her parents are both are both small business owners, entrepreneurs. Uh, and so, you know, she's – They're Asian, aren't they? They are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you know, what do they have, dry cleaners? <laughs> No, they have restaurants okay. up, and down the, up, up, the, up and down the West Coast. And so uh, restaurants and coffee shops and, and things. And so talking to them, she was exposed to the small business atmosphere from a young age. So she's, you know, she's had more experience than I have. And so she's done some different things and knows some different things than I do. So when I have ideas, I always run them by her first just to get what her sense of things are and see how she would handle it. She so I, I know why you really bought and own your own practice. And that's just to impress her parents. Hey, you got to do what you got to do, you know? Yeah, you want to make sure you keep them happy. <laughs> now let's get a little bit tough on each other, okay? Please, let's do it. All right, so um, so what hurdles have you faced and how have you overcome them? If you if you were to say, hey, I bought a practice, what what are the big hurdles you've had, you've had in your practice? So coming into it, when I bought it, I think the, the biggest hurdle, and it's still a little bit, but not maybe quite as significant, was cash flow. I think buying a practice that was relatively small in size, just trying to make cash flow work on a month-to-month basis, still trying to have a little bit at the end of every month to pay myself was was the biggest hurdle. And, and it was for the first maybe year and a half, two years of ownership. And so I think that was the biggest one. That's what stands out to me first off. And that goes along or corresponds with overhead and just trying to get that implemented. How long um, before you were cash flow positive? Cash flow positive, I would say was probably 18 months. 18 months. So for the first 18 months, you didn't take home much of a salary? Nope, not much of anything. You know, that the time I spent working as an employee, that's what covered my bills. So okay. I worked uh, two days a week for as an employee. And your wife was still in dental school at the time? Yep, yep, exactly. Okay. So, I so you weren't even a two-income household at that time? Nope, just solo. I lived at home with mom and dad because they're here in town. So while... Oh, while do they do laundry for you and cook food? Mom, Mom's a great roommate, yeah. let me tell you. <laughs> Mom's a, a great roommate. She she took care of me. She made sure that my clothes were washed and cleaned, and then then uh, there was food on the table when I came home at the end of the day. So I'm very fortunate, very appreciative. But yeah, they you know I stayed at home. I tried to keep bills and things down to a minimum, and covered expenses on my end with the income I got from working as a, at the small corporation. The three days I worked here covered the bills and paid the note on the practice and paid rent on the doors. So okay, so so was, part of that was that you were working part time in your practice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Patient patient flow just wasn't quite enough to really kind of carry a four day week or a four day week schedule. So for the first period there, that's what kind of way it worked out. At the maybe at about the nine month mark or twelve month mark of being an owner, there there came a point where I started to take a draw every month and pay myself a little bit extra so I could save up a little something every month from the practice ownership. But by that point too, my wife had be, you know started working and she was earning a, a decent income from the corporation and things. So, you know, we weren't ever hurting for money, but there were a couple months where things were tight 
you know, you just can't have a whole lot of extra income or disposable. You got to eat macaroni and cheese, yeah. Yeah, you know, or or uh, ramen noodles. Just depends on you know, being being that she's Asian, I had my fair share of ramen and things, so it was pretty good. <laughs> she's gonna <laughs> she's gonna kick your butt for that one, dude. Uh, all right, I give her a hard time because she appreciates it. I think she. I, I, I tease her that I'm probably more Asian than she is because I, I enjoy more. Well, of I can see your eyes; they're open. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's actually Korean, so I give her a hard time that I enjoy more Korean food than she does. So oh, it's, it's, some of that barbecue is good, man. Hey, you're, you're, now you're what, telling me. In. What area of your practice needs attention? You know, in looking at it or thinking about it, I guess it, if it, how specific do you want me to be? I think because when I look at it, one of the big things for me is is hygiene. You know, mm-hmm. making sure that we're profitable from a hygiene perspective mm-hmm. because with with where we're at and making sure that our time is spent doing the things that need to be done to make it profitable, I think that's where I'm at and as I go this part of the year. I, I try to evaluate things every year and look at things on a monthly basis, look at different systems here in the practice and, and see how things have changed from year to year and look at where we can improve this year compared to last. And so we're at a point now where we're looking at hygiene and trying to make sure that each visit is profitable. Because you know, I have no shame in sense that when I bought the practice, it was there were capitation plans, there were HMO plans and things, and so mm. there were a lot of times that I was receiving maybe five dollars. Have you gotten rid of all of those things? Yep, yep, yep. That's yep. We did that at the end of last year. Officially, we we cut ties around July, but I had to let contracts and things expire. So July so sixteen, and essentially the end of two thousand sixteen. Yep, exactly. So now we're at a point where we're strictly PPO or fee for service here in the practice. And so that's done a big boost to our hygiene department. I think we went from averaging maybe $70, $72 a visit, a hygiene visit, to now we're at maybe 124 Okay, you're doing fine. So I, I so, want to give you a different perspective on the hygiene side of things. Listen, 80% of your diagnosis comes through hygiene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I've never been one to really get unbelievably so focused on my hygiene production. Okay? And so look at it this way. If my hygienist spends a little extra time or it focuses on the restorative dentistry and she helps the patient choose one crown, that's her entire day. So my advice is don't get wrapped up in, oh my God, my hygienists aren't producing 1500 a day or, oh my God, my hygienists aren't producing 1200 a day or, oh my God, they're not producing a thousand dollars a day. Take a big picture view of that and see okay. kind of what they're, what they're bringing to the practice. Um, like in your specific case, uh, you know, are your hygienists doing a good job of bringing up the sleep conversation and are they putting people into the funnel and, and helping people move yeah. to the next step? Uh, because quite honestly, one sleep appliance from your hygienist is like two or three days of production. Always look at it from that perspective, not from a, you know, drive them to solely focus on the production side of things. I'll have to update you that because I think I heard, uh, I think one of your recent podcasts that I listened to stated something similar and so we implemented we have our monthly huddles or monthly meetings and that was one of the things that i posed to them and essentially was that very same sentiment if you can you know if you can talk to patients and expose patients to what sleep apnea can do for them or how they can be improved then you get that appliance going or get it into the pipeline then shoot that that covers your day's production you know because that, yeah, just imagine i mean i think this is a little unrealistic but imagine your hygienist did one a day oh yeah oh, yeah <laughs> You were talking about having, a, you know, I think you talked about it in the past, having a hygienist that can do that solely or exclusively. Yeah, you know, or any happy. team member. Oh, you know, yeah. we call them champions. 
exactly. Yeah. So, so don't get, don't, don't get too caught up on that. I, I know some of the old, old school gurus are like your hygienists have to be doing five X what they pay. I mean, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it as what do you bring to my practice? You know, I'm in a PPO environment. Look, we're lucky to get a hundred dollars per patient visit. You know, we're lucky, you know, we're, we're, we're fortunate to do a thousand dollars a day uh, in hygiene collections. Okay. So, you know, realistically, you look at that. So let's talk about the sleep stuff for a second. Okay. Sure. So, um, a couple of things, uh, well, I say let's talk about sleep and maybe this is kind of related. So what stuck out to me on your website was you do these weekly videos for your practice. Talk to me about that. Yeah, the weekly videos thing just came about because I think if, for those who are familiar, Facebook started introducing their Facebook Live. Right. And we were fortunate enough to be one of the early kind of beta testers, I guess, for it. And so when with the practice here, it was one of those things because for us, as I looked at things, money and cash flow was always consideration. So it's like, this is something cheap I can do. It doesn't cost me any money to do it. And we get questions that come about from patients all day long like everybody else does, I'm sure, and you get the same question maybe 10 or 12 times a week. So it's something where I thought, well, instead of having to answer that question every single time during the day, I thought, what's a maybe easier way to get it out to patients, give people explanations and understanding, and then maybe be able to interact with patients on a day, on a week. So you basis. do it live? I do it live, yeah. I think that's essentially because I know if I have to sit there and film it and, and record it, I'm not no. going to do it. So, so, so just so the audience understands, you record it live. Sorry, you do it live and stream it live. Okay. Correct. I assume you just use your phone, no fancy equipment. No, try to try to do it as simple as possible. So at the end of the day, it used to be on the because of the schedules. It used to be Wednesday, and then my schedules changed around a little bit. So now I do it every day at the end of the day on Friday before I head home for the day, and I just pick a topic or, or think about a topic that came up throughout the course of the week that somebody asked me that I thought was appropriate. Fact, how long How long are these live sessions? I, I shoot for two or three minutes. Just oh, that's answer. it. Okay. Yeah, I, I shoot I shoot for two or three minutes, answer their question, you know, and, and give people a chance to ask any questions on the live platform because you can, you can literally comment live so people can ask questions right. as talking yeah. or they can make, you know, gestures or emotions and things as we're going. But generally, I tend to be a little bit maybe long-winded sometimes, so it ends up being maybe four or five minutes, which I think is a fair amount. Yeah. Uh, so what the audience needs to understand is so you, you do this live, but then the beauty of Facebook is is their algorithms want to show this video more often than mm-hmm. anything else that you post. So now you your your live session, your live stream becomes a repository or you, know, you essentially have a bank of yeah. videos that your patients or anybody can see at any time and Facebook will put the, that on your page and put it on more people's feed versus a post or a picture. And then obviously you can get the video and you could put it on YouTube or whatever else you wanted. Have you considered uh, having these uh, captioned af- afterwards? I haven't. That's a, that's a great idea. I had never thought. Yeah. About because that. think about this, how many times that you're in a public place and you get your phone and there's a video you want to watch, but you don't feel like you don't have a headphones and you don't feel like turning the volume up so everybody hears what you're watching. But if you have captions, people can actually listen. Sorry, they can, you know, listen to what you're saying. And uh, typically a caption, to have a video caption, uh, there's services. If I can get my Google work and I'll look it up real quick. But there's services um, that'll do um, caption for like a buck, buck 25 or buck 50 a minute. Oh, wow. Okay. That's not bad at all. No, no. Uh, like one, uh, one company is rev.com, rev.com. Okay. And it's roughly a buck to a buck fifty a minute. And then you can have the captions on your video. 
So that way people can actually read in a word, in a way, read your video. No, that'd be fantastic because I know exactly what you're referring to. But yeah, coming back to it, I mean, the, doing the Facebook lives for the practice here, it's, it kind of creates our own little YouTube page on our Facebook channel. So patients can go on and look at it. And I think looking at it now, it's about 30 or something videos there and they're each about four minutes or so long. And I think most of them get viewed 600 times. Uh, you know, and as I look at, it, I think the one we did where we were doing a little campaign here in the practice for different things, I think that was over 3,000 views. So it, it's something that doesn't cost me any money. It stays up on the channel. And yeah, and you have all the equipment. You use your phone. That's yeah. why I try to get people to understand. And, and listen, I, I say all this stuff, and yet I'm too lazy to do half the things, <laughs> half the ideas I have myself. It's the thought that you you had the idea, right? It's just yeah, idea. and, and <laughs> so I, I think the other thing that uh, I would give you. So what you talk, what you're talking about doing is is a page out of a book uh, about what what they call inbound content marketing. And ultimately okay. what, what it is, is you just answer the questions people have. Like, how much does an implant cost? Why does my implant cost so much? What is it expected? You know, should I have pain after an extraction and things like that? Right. And oh, so, yeah. And ultimately one of the things you can do is you can get your team on board with this and simply have them write down the top three questions that they get. And ultimately you can answer those questions, right? What's the most oh. common question your front office people get? What's the most common question? Your hygienist gets what's the most common questions. And then you can even use outsourcing people to write blogs, use your videos to turn them into blogs for you. So then you can blog, you can create the, you know, the, you can put them on your website, uh, create an SEO blog out of that. And that's originally where this came from was writing a blog. I thought I'm going to write a blog every, you know, every week for my website. Who's got time to write, right? But if, but so if you record the video and then you turn it into, you get it captioned and now you have the transcript. And the transcript itself can be the blog. So exactly. you, you can multi-purpose that. So, uh, so that, that, those are nice ways of doing things. And, and see, the other thing you'll start doing is selfishly, you should start doing things that you want to promote more in your practice. Yeah. We, we tend to do it. I think one of the, if there's things that we're trying to run in the practice, whether that's promotions or little get campaigns, I think one of the big ones that we ran recently, we run maybe with twice now the last two weeks is talking about our sleep apnea night here in the practice. Yeah. And I want to talk, I want to get into that here in a second. Yeah, of course. We, so we've been run, running that ad a little bit or that Facebook live video. I promoted that and used a Facebook ad for that. And so are you recording testimonials of patients? So, you know, that's the next step for me. That's, that's the one thing that I wanted to get into, but I, to be honest, I, and it's an excuse, nothing else okay. than that. So let me tell you what's holding you back from doing that is that Please. you're trying to do it yourself. Ah, okay. Okay. You you need to have somebody in your office do it. There's a product I want you to buy. It's called Iographer. If you go on Amazon, I can look I, it up. I'm typing it in as, uh, because I have it. I O just literally, uh, literally Iographer. Uh, I O G R A P H E R. Okay. And the, what it is, it's a it's a case that your phone or your iPad can go into, and then it goes onto a tripod. Uh, uh, okay. And so you get one of those for your iPhone 6 or 7, whichever one you or your team member has, and get, mm-hmm. a, get a $20 tripod and um, use that to record videos on your practice. Just make somebody in your office, g- give them an extra 50 bucks, who cares, okay? Make somebody in your office in charge of recording X number of testimonials per month. And are you recording, are you thinking testimonials for anything and everything? Or are you going specific procedures? Or are well, you to- again, so I'm not trying to build a general practice right now, personally. For me, it's very much about selfishly, it's about the things I want to do more of. 
So our testimonials are sleep, implants, complex cases, but a lot of that sedation, things like that. So we're doing more of that. And and we're just getting into, I just finally got a person that I think can can head this up for me. Her job kind of depends on it. So, so <laughs> we'll see how she does with it. So I got her all the tools, the tripod. I even bought some LED video lights that oh, you can, wow. that okay. you could attach to this as well, because it, it has a hot shoe on top of it. And then the other thing I would do is uh, for 10 bucks, you can get a, a lavalier microphone that connects into your phone, uh, okay. so that you get even better audio. And that, that might be something else that you want just for your weekly videos. A little lavalier right. mic because the sound is that much better that with much it. Better, huh? Yeah, it's it's ten bucks. Yeah, yeah. and right. all this stuff okay. is available on Amazon. See, I ordered a lapel mic and I just keep forgetting to throw it on. But no, that's what it is. It's a lapel mic. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. it pl- it plugs right into your microphone jack. It makes a big difference. Does it? Okay, I'll, I'll I'll put it into practice on Friday. It makes it makes a big difference. So you can buy all that stuff. It'll be Amazon will have it to you in two days. So they make <laughs> that work, awesome. Right? All right, so selfishly, let's spend our last 10, 15 minutes talking about sleep okay. and sleep, sleep dentistry. So uh, how did you hear about our class? What was your experience beforehand? And what can you tell the listeners about your experience here at our class? I came about or your uh, course offerings through a separate podcast. Yeah, through Gary Tactics Podcast, yeah. yeah. You were a guest on Gary's show and or Gary's podcast, and so I came about and got aware of, made aware of it through there. So I went online and, and then I found a time that worked for me. So I headed out in August of last year. What made you and, come? Uh, you know, so that's a good question. Because you're not in the Sarah community. You're not in a community where you really understand who I, you're not who I am, but you know, you don't understand my, my perspective on things. No, I had no clue who you were. You know, I heard you on the podcast and I thought some of the things you said were kind of crazy, but I, but I like <laughs> that's the thing is, is you speak, I think you speak what I, I like to think about. You think in a different sense than I do. So for me, when I came to your course specifically, you know, you present things from a, from a dynamic or from an aspect that I maybe would never have considered, you know, so when we talked about things there at the, at the course and, and thinking about different things there. It was like, shoot, this is a whole different side of things to look at and evaluate things from. So for me, it made sense. I mean, you, you get, when you come into the course, you get Dr. Elliott's kind of the, the nitty gritty of how to do things. Yeah, and she, how get, to do she, get, you give, she gives you the science and stuff. Yeah, you get the, you get the content from there, but you get the actual implementation and how it could work in a practice from you. And I think that's maybe what makes it so beneficial is that I, you know, if you go to every CE course, they talk to you, this is how you do this, or this is how you do that. You need this much melopascals of bonding strength, whatever the case may be. So that's what you get there. But then the other component that I wasn't expecting was the actual marketing and the actual ability to, you know, to make patients aware of what its value is, how beneficial sleep apnea could be for them. And I think that's what, why your course actually made it so beneficial for me. And, why and that was just luck for you. Torch. Yeah, that was just complete luck. Knew nothing about you. I, I seen there. I listened to. I think you had just started the the T Bone Asks podcast. Yeah, maybe a month or two before. And for me, it was looking for something. You know, that next step in, in regards to to CE courses and things. And then here in the practice, like I said, we have some older demographic, and so we had before that portion. My wife had made me aware of sleep apnea. She said, "Hey, maybe this is something you should consider offering in the practice." And I thought, "Nah, not not for me. Too too fooey. Too you know, hocus pocus type <laughs> stuff." And then we had a half dozen patients come through with existing appliances that had either broken or were just aged and worn, and they swore by them, loved their appliances, said they never slept better, migraines and things all went away. And so it's like, well, you know, maybe I should look into it a little bit. So 
you know, the first couple of patients got my interest peaked. And then after the sixth patient, I said, well, I should probably take this course because if I'm going to be doing these, I'd like to get reimbursed for more than just an occlusal guard when I do them. Yeah, for, for so, the love of so seeing yeah. that the lab bill is like three, four, five hundred bucks on these things. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I knew nothing about it. So when I when I got my first couple lab bills back, I'm like, holy cow, this there's got to be something you know more involved than just an occlusal guard for this. So you know, just for me to get the education and get a better understanding of what I was going to be offering or what I was thinking about offering, you know, I came out to Raleigh uh, by myself, which is probably a mistake. I wish yeah, I would have brought retrospectively. Uh, my manager, with you know, it's yeah. interesting. We've learned as well. We, uh, we, our fee now, it's, it's a higher fee, but our fee mandates that you bring somebody because you pay for it whether you bring them or not. Yeah. I, I heard you say that on the, on the cast before. And I think that's completely the way to do it because bringing yourself out. Yeah. You get the science and you get how you'd want to do it. Well, when you come back to the office and try to talk to staff about it or team members about it, um, they, they kind of, yeah, yeah, no, no big deal. We'll, we'll get to it at some point. But when you bring them, when you bring other people along with you and they share in that experience and, and learning how beneficial it could be and they kind of get that aha moment with you, it gets them jazzed up in addition to yourself. So the more people you can, you know, enlighten or bring with you, I think that's definitely the way to do it. And so after your course there on sleep apnea, in order to get more patients or more of the team members involved with it, I brought, you know, I brought them back out with me when we went to the 3D billing course right. there two months later. And I think that's when it really took off for me was being able to show other team members why we were doing it and explain the medical benefit more so than just the, the economics of it. I think that was where it became a big moment for the practice as a whole because now I, I sent the whole team up to a course in, in Phoenix here put on through DS3's. Oh, yeah. They had a course there. So we all went up to there, and now everybody's been exposed to it. And, and so everybody's been you know, enlightened and, and shown kind of why we're doing what we're doing and why the medical benefit is so great. Um, and so now that's shoot. Now that parlays into why we're doing the sleep apnea night because they were on me about doing that because now that they've seen it, they thought we got to get this out to more patients. All right, so let's patients. talk about that for a second, okay? So selfishly, I want to um, – so the reason we have the Sleep 101 program is mm-hmm. so so that uh, – and listen, the DS3 program is great. But I think for, from, your, from my perspective, the message should be consistent for your team members. So our mm-hmm. Sleep 101 program is really about an opportunity for dentists to send their whole team back to get the same information in a more okay. cost-effective way. Um, so if you ever get new team members, you should send them out for that. But, uh, uh, so now something that you're killing me on, uh, because I've always wanted to do it, but I haven't done it is, uh, you're doing a sleep educate public education night. Yeah. So talk yeah, to that. That's tomorrow night actually, isn't it? Tomorrow night. Yeah. We're just finalizing things over the weekend and getting everything. So where are you doing it? What brought this about? How are you making it happen? How are you promoting it? What's your expectations? Give us the scoop on that. Yeah. I'm happy to. So we, we, what's we, it called? So it's just stop snoring now. You know, that's the name of the, the actual evening is stop snoring now. Get enlightened to, to why sleep apnea is, is killing you. I think it kind of parlays a little bit off of what you said in your course. And so we, we have basically set up an evening here in the practice. We're doing it in our office or in our dental practice. Um, we've got, we're fortunate enough that our, that our front up area or waiting area or the lobby area there is large enough to sustain the, the size and people that we're expecting. But we're really just trying to get the word out and begin the conversation with patients here in the area. We, we've done a good job, I think, about educating the patients as they come into the practice through the hygiene department, doing the screening tools and using some different things to make them aware of it. But when you think about it, I only see, you know, uh, uh, 1,200 patients a year or what you consider active is 1,200. 
but you think about how many other people there are in the communities and things. And so for me, that's the big thing. I, I've talked about it on the Facebook live videos, had some good experience and we've run some different Facebook ads related to sleep. And when you see how many people it affects and how many people it, it pertains to, it's really powerful. And so for me, after doing a couple ads with it, I thought, shoot, am I getting this much response just off a, off a cartoon or an ad? You know, <laughs> what, what, what kind of response can I get from actually talking to people or bringing people in to meet me, talk about these in person and see how it would benefit them from, you know, from a medical and a health perspective. And so we're, we're doing that here tomorrow night. We're going to host people here in the practice. What's we're your expectations on number of people? Number, I'm expecting anywhere between 10 and 15 people. But okay. It, it's, it's That's good. good. We have, we asked for RSVP. We've gotten probably five or six RSVPs. But when you look at it, in the way that we've kind of promoted it is twofold. So one, one, we're going ahead and we send out, we use Revenue Well here in the practice. Oh, we send out a newsletter through our, our practice management software and we made, made patients aware of it who are existing patients. We actually also ran a Facebook ad or two ads simultaneously, one on a post about the event and the other about the actual, we created a Facebook event and now we're running an ad for that event which has had some really good traction on both Facebook and Instagram. Good for you. You know, so we're, we're doing it. Those things, I think when you looked at it, I think our Facebook, our Instagram ad had something like four or 5,000 likes over the course of two weeks. Okay. Uh, wow. So, you know, and it, that's, that's the thing. I was talking to the team about it today is, is this could be huge or we could have, you know, 10 people here, but oh, listen, if you get two people to sign up and move forward, you're, you're, you're yeah. golden. Oh, Hell, exactly. if you get one, I'm, I'm more than happy with just the one. So, for me, this is kind of a, a stepping stone. I'm using this as an introduction to just public speaking about the sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. Created the PowerPoint, did the whole different things to be able to. I bought a projector and a big and a big hundred inch screen that I can project the slides onto. You mean you don't so have I'm, a training center in your office like me? You know what? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Maybe I won't say no. I'll say not yet. Um, so we're doing that. We're going to have everybody here. We bought some food and some uh, some beer, some wine. We're going to have everybody here, some drinks and things. And just, and it's kind of actually coincides with us for two different things. One is the sleep apnea. The other is we just renovated the practice. Okay. So we do a little bit of an open house. Yeah, it's an open house for the first half hour, 40 minutes. And then we're going to go ahead and have a conversation about snoring and sleep apnea for the last half hour, 40 minutes. And so we're, we're parlaying it into that and, and we're, we're ambitious. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm kind of eager to see who shows up or how many people show up and, and see how it works for so us. So don't get, don't get disappointed or give up. Okay. These things, yeah. here, here's what I can tell you from doing courses to dentists. Yeah. Uh, the first few don't sell out and then they start doing better and better and better. And it's a snowball effect. Okay. Okay. I, th I would, the other thing I would encourage you to do is parlay this into an implant seminar. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. About dentures or, you know, not, not, not ever having to use dentures again. Um, and, and get to a point where, if you ever get into marketing or do any marketing in your practice, get to a point where you constantly have a quarterly public seminar. Be become become in the in the community's mind the source of education. I've taken some courses that are, are about uh, talking about how to do these. Uh, so on the be in the beginning, do it on the shoestring budget like you're doing. Mm -hmm. In a perfect world, you'll get a better response if you do it at a library. And the reason is is because it's going to be non-confrontational for patients. It's wow. good. It's it, they're not going to be like, "Hey, I'm getting sold" or whatever it is. And a, a library is a, a quote-unquote safe zone, right? 
And things at the library, generally speaking, are very educational. I mean, the the perception of something at the library is just that it's educational, right? Yeah, it's a little seminar, it's a little thing. That yeah, makes, that's so, but, but absolutely be committed to it. As you get better at these, or as you do more of them and more consistent with them, uh, try to have a patient or two there that can talk to some of the people about how this has worked and help them. Even if it's a matter of a, a team member or a team member's spouse, that's helped in whatever it is that you're doing the seminar about. Uh, some of those things will help and, and, and keep it short. You're not talking to dentists, you know, uh, you know, keep it to five, 10, 15 minutes. And the other thing I would do is, uh, pre have, uh, consult times available for your patients or be ready to offer on site consultations to where you can do initial screenings and then also have your HST machine ready. Uh, for the next few days or whatever, so that you, you, so that you have a, you know, last thing you want to do is have somebody come in, they're hot, they're ready to go. And then you're like, okay, my next consult's three weeks from now. I mean, your next consult should be that night or the next day or the day after. Yep. And that's actually what we did was we, we dedicated a day. So I don't usually see patients on Wednesday. So okay. we've done, I'll set up this coming Wednesday for that very reason. Oh, so perfect. For consults. So, and then the other thing you can do with this is, uh, you can do a, an ortho seminar. Like an Invisalign night or an ortho night mm-hmm. and, and stuff like okay. that. So those are some of the different things I've seen uh, people do there as well. Oh, that's great. So, g- so give me an idea. So before you came to the course, you essentially weren't doing any sleep unless the patient came and begged for it. Yep. Yep. They had, to, they had to beg for me to remake their appliance, and even then I almost tried to talk them out of it. <laughs> okay. And now well, how many people are you putting through HSTs now? So we probably average, the HST is, con- we have one here, which I think is the next step, it is on my order list on for the, one of the next months here is to get another appliance or another HST because. And HST is a home sleep testing machine. So yep, for the use, people that don't know. We've used the Metabyte Junior here. Yeah, it's a great product. From being here at your practice or being at your seminar. We have four uh, of them now. Do you really? Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's, that's kind of, because that's becoming a hindrance to us is patients will come through. We do the screening and the hygiene department. They fill out the sleep questionnaire for me, and, and then it's they're ready to take the test. And it's like, oh shoot, can you come back on Tuesday to pick? They're like, that up? oh no, Tuesday doesn't work. Yeah, right. yeah. it's yeah. a matter of trying to. And then the it. next thing you know, they're coming on Tuesday, and you see another patient on Monday, and they no. can't take it home because somebody needs that's, it on Tuesday. That's literally what we've run into. This yeah. last week it was terrible. We tried to coordinate getting three people over the course of five days, and it was just pain in the butt. So. Yeah. Now we're, we're talking about getting another HST and so ring having that available. So we, it's generally running every, every other day or every third okay. day. So you're probably putting 10 to 15 people a month through, uh, through the funnel? Through the funnel. So if nothing else, getting them interested in it, getting them talked to them about it, because I'll do it like a mini consult. You know, we come through the hygiene department, they fill out the, they'll fill out an iPad that's got a questionnaire and it'll give them a risk factor based off of their answers. That's a DS3 and, software then? Yep, that's the DS3 screener okay. app. Exactly. And so they go through that and then hygienists have done a great job about talking about it and explaining why their risks are what they are. So when I come in to do my recall exam, I'll sit down, I'll go through the teeth and then I parlay that into the next step being, hey, you know, looking at the teeth or looking at the mouth, I see some things here that are risks or indicators of some sleep disorder breathing. You know, do you have any issues sleeping? Are you having any problems snoring? Or the hygienist will just bring it up. Hey, doc, this is Steve. Steve's, you know, commented after his screening at that he, his wife told him that he can't be sleeping anymore or, or that he, he, she can't handle him snoring anymore. <laughs> so, you know, can you talk to him a little bit about what we're doing here in the practice with, with the uh, advancement devices or things? And in, in a bit of, of, you know, gimmicky thing, 
I stole your uh, posters. Oh, good. I was I was just getting ready to ask if you put the posters up. I did. I, you know what? And it, so, in the funny thing about subliminal it, marketing, dude, it works unbelievably well. Every time, patients. Oh, I saw that. I was wondering about that, and just by having it on the wall behind my head as we're talking about it, you know. And and I tried to make them about your size, and it, coincidentally, they got printed out about the size of a poster. So they're huge, but it works out really well because patients can actually see them and read them. So hey, I, I you know I thought it was going to be a problem, but it actually has been out to be a benefit for us. So yeah, HST runs m many times a week, and, and we're getting people into the funnel. We're working with them on that aspect of thing. We we did real good at the end of 2016. Yeah, because it should be free for your patients to medical. Deductibles were shot, so everybody was ready and willing. Um, now the beginning of the year comes around and deductibles reset and things. So we've got a standing list of patients. Yeah. Who are so we go. call that we call that our uh, the, our pipeline. Mm -hmm. I, I, I you got it on your wall in, in your break room there. I've got a I bought went out and bought a, a bunch of boards and put them up in the office. So we've got for each type of procedure. I basically copied what you were doing. So yeah, I appreciate uh, that's you well. That's the that. point of having the class at our office is that you can see what it is that we're doing. You know, I, I'm going to change our pipeline pretty soon. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put the I'm going to get uh, iPads or Kindles for everybody in the office. And I'm going to put everything on Google Drive, on okay. Google Docs, and that way everybody share, has a shared document, and that way any hygienist or anybody can see it and put it right away in the um in the in the shared spreadsheet. So that way everybody has access to it, and that way I also have access to it on a daily basis. So I can see kind of what's what's going on, what hasn't done it. I can see who's added in the team. Uh, so one of the one of the things we want to see now is. It, 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 I don't want to call it a real competition, but I want to see which hygienists are doing better with this, which ones are bringing in more sleep patients or bringing it up more often without patients or moving people through the funnel a little bit more often. Uh, I want to kind of track that to see uh, where where that's coming from, and uh, that's how I'll determine who can make more or uh, at, at the end, you know, through the through the practice and things like that. So uh, it, it's a uh, that's a unique way of doing it. I like that. I have to look into that. Yeah, I, you know, and then uh, also taking the Malampati picture mm. helps. Um, yeah. Yep, so yep. let me ask you this. So so kind of the last last few minutes here, we're, we're over time, but that's okay. Anything else you want to talk about on sleep? Nah, you know what? I was, I've got to clip uh, one, one or two things on it, but you go ahead. You give me your question first, then I'll return mine. Well, I, so so why why haven't you gone digital? In what in what sense? Meaning 3D or 3D and CAD CAM. Uh, so 3D is the next thing for me. That that's the next on my purchase list is buying a cone beam here. You know market. it's free, right? <laughs> so yeah, well it's it is free for me right now too, though I'll tell you this because I've got I'm fortunate that I've got a unique arrangement with an orthodontist down the road for me. Yeah, but that's not the same, dude. It, it's free. It's free at this point in the game. So no, but me, when I say free, it's free because you have the medical billing training, and mm -hmm. Arizona is a state that actually does reimburse do for reimburse cone beams. So I mean, you're talking about even if you got 150 bucks each cone beam, dude, you, you're gonna the machine is gonna be free. Well, and that's the thing. I think between between the different things that we do here in the practice, we probably I refer out maybe a dozen people a month for for implants and things. That's silly. Capture. So it's, you know, when you look at that, that's kind of where we're at with that aspect. Of it. But so, it uh, so in all honesty, you're dumb not buying this thing. Uh, yeah, no, I don't mean to call you dumb. No, no, no. Hey, I, I take I, no offense to it. I know it is because I hear it every day from my wife. 
<laughs> yeah, but she, she says she says it in a truly mean way. I say it in a loving way. It's a little bit of both. When I talked to her about why I'm not doing things, she said, "Why aren't you doing that? You know, that's just stupid." And well, you know, so yeah. that is. I, I agree with you, I, and I understand that completely because I, I think that is the next thing that I want to purchase here in the practice is, is getting a, a 3D cone beam, being able to have that opportunity to offer that to patients and utilize that from a diagnostic perspective. Uh, for many reasons, I think between endo lesions and things that we find on a daily basis, just by happenstance, in reviewing the comb beams that I do refer out, you know, I refer out comb beams for endo, I get them back and I'm going through them and I'm finding lesions, you know, on thing on teeth that are asymptomatic. So it's things that could parlay into a much bigger deal for me. So uh, yeah, I would agree with you. You I know, it, it's not, I get it. It's a big ticket item, dude. It's probably half the cost of your practice, you know, and. And so I, I get it. It's, it's a big ticket item. Maybe this, let me ask you this, because this is one of the questions I was going to have for you is because now we talked about profitability here in the practice and cash flow is now at a positive. I'm actually able to pay myself a little bit each month and be able to enjoy practice ownership a little bit more than say the first 18 months. So you were in my shoes. You looking at things, knowing what things are going and doing things. Would you then maybe parlay any further reimbursement or compensation to yourself to go ahead and purchase the comb beam? Do you think it pays off in the long run? When you say to yourself, like if you take it to yourself, then you're not putting it in the practice. Well, what I mean by that is, okay, so maybe the first couple months I was paying myself X, or the first couple years I was paying myself X. Now we're at a point where profitability is a little bit better, where cash flowing a little bit better. Do you need that money? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, I mean, put it back in your practice. I'm okay living as I've been. I, let, I don't put, need a lot put, pretty put, simple about things. Okay, so, so let's just use fake numbers, okay? Let's just call it five grand more per month. Okay. Okay. Take two grand of it, give it to yourself, put three grand back in your practice. Okay. And you think that three grand's best spent looking at a comb beam? Well, that's hard for me to say just from our conversation today. I I think I'm clinically biased towards those things. Look, you're you're doing implants, you're doing surgeries, you understand medical billing. Ultimately, you're going to have to pay for the machine for 12 months, and after that, it'll be free. And I'll tell you, it's not an if, it's a when I buy it. So I know I want it. But the longer you wait, it's not getting cheaper. (laughs) <laughs> okay, and and the longer you wait, the longer you're waiting to uh to reap the benefits of it. Okay. Now uh, the next question would be: buy used or buy new? Well, that's a that's a politically tough question for me to answer. Okay, so I'll uh-huh. give you I'll give you the benefits of both. Okay. Okay. So yeah. as a speaker and trainer for Sirona, um, <laughs> certainly, uh, you know, I, I would encourage you to buy their machine. But that's that's just me. I I love okay. their machine, but there are many good machines out there. Okay. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, it's a $100,000 machine. If you buy it used, it's going to be $60,000. Okay. It sounds like 40 grand, but in the scheme of things, you're not writing a check for the thing. Yeah. That's okay. True. Okay. So what I would say to you to get brand new, to get a full warranty, to get the service and support that comes with a good product that's brand new, the training that comes with the product, Typically, depending on what you buy, you know, to save 400 bucks a month, it's just, it's short-sighted on my end. Okay. Okay. No, that's fair. I think you could. But it's, look, how about this? If I were paying pure cash for something, then then you're really saving 40 grand. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you're not paying pure cash for something, when you're financing it out, then to me, you know, you're, you're, you're making a decision over 400 bucks a month. Yeah. Would you lay it out that way? Certainly makes more sense. Yeah, and, and that's a personal preference. What machine, what brand you buy, totally up to you. But look, I would tell you that 
to make a good educated decision uh, about what you'll buy. And don't, don't base your decision solely on price. It's like when you buy clothes, you don't buy the cheapest clothes. When you buy whatever it is in your life, you don't always buy the most expensive. You don't always buy the cheapest. You always buy what makes you feel and what fits best for you. So the same thing should be with the economy. It shouldn't be about price. Price is a small portion of this in the scheme of things. And quite frankly, it is, it's like, uh, it's like when I f- first bought my most, my first expensive car, I asked the guy how much gas it got and what was the gas mileage. And he's like, basically, if you're asking this kind of question, you probably shouldn't be spending That's this kind of money on a car. Uh, so, yeah. so at the end of the day, when you, once you get to that point where you're spending 50, 60, 70, 80 thousand dollars, honestly, at that stage of the game, it doesn't matter. So let me ask you this because you asked me about CAD CAM. So this is kind of one of the things that I've been debating. Now, looking at things, you look at the kind of the emergence of 3D printing and things. You think, mm-hmm. where do you think things are going in the realms of, of whether it's milling or printing things? What are you talking about? Restorative materials? Yeah, restorative. Cause I, I, you know, you look at different blogs or different things in the realm of the industry. I think permanent crowns and printing is. I mean, is that a lot? Do you think I, and you may, I don't. Three, five, ten years away? Three, five, six, seven years away? Okay. To be I, able I, to print permanent crowns. In terms of the printing guides and stuff, I think we'll be there within 12 to, within, we're, we're there now technically. Uh, so I, people doing it. Yeah. I, I think from it, when it comes to removable appliances and things like that, I, I think printing is pretty much there. There. Yeah. And that's, that's my thing is, is do I want to get, and this may be a short sighted kind of problem for myself, but it's one of those things. Do I want to take on the note and the loan of a, of a, for example, a CEREC unit and a milling unit? When maybe three years from now, five years from now, 3D printing may be a more viable option or a more feasible long-term option. And that's kind of where I'm But at will it be? I, so let me ask you I this. Do you pay a, but do you pay a lab now? I do. So your machine doesn't cost you anything. Okay. Right? So. Because, yeah, yeah. So uh, listen, I'm not going to say you're going to get rid of your lab 100% because you're not. Okay. But 80% of your posterior units will, will not go to a lab anymore. They'll be done internally. Okay. Mm-hmm. So from, so it's a line item shift in, um, in your cost. Okay. It's for any CAD CAM unit. Notice, I, listen, I'm again, for full disclosure, I'm a trainer and speaker for Serona. So I'm clinically biased towards their product. But you notice, I don't say CEREC. I say CAD CAM. I say cone mm-hmm. beam. I, because yeah. I, I, that, those are all personal preference decisions. Now I think they happen to make some of the best products out there. Uh, they're premium products, but, um, uh, I think it's a line item shift. I think this concept of printing final restorative materials is going to be some some ways down the road. Okay, uh, that's and that's one of the things. It may be right, it might be wrong. I mean, we can barely print surgical guides right now. Mm-hmm. There, yep, right? exactly. And, it, and, it's, and, it's just and now we're trying to, you know, we're, right now we can print things that are going to be in the mouth for like twenty hours. <laughs> you know? so, so you tell me how we're going to print crowns. If you're doing 20-hour implant surgeries, I hope you... I no, but I think... Of- I don't know the exact time period, but those surgical yeah. guides are FDA approved for not long-term wear. I see, for short-term use. Okay. And same thing with, like, the aligners at the end of the day. They're, they're not long-term wear. They're, you know, one, two weeks, whatever it is. So um printing is certainly going to be cool. I think it's going to be... It's going to make an impact. I think certainly most practice, most advanced practices will have a printer in their building within the next three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly because they're affordable, they're five to, you know, anywhere from a couple of grand up to 10 grand for a reasonable size printer. So I think um, it's a very gettable item for a dental practice, but it's not going to print final restorations. Uh, not, not, not in our immediate future. 
That's fair. Yeah. What else yeah. you got for me? What uh, you, I know you talked about CE. You talked to J Lo on on your yeah. podcast. J Lo talking about you need to take more CE. So you asked me about mine. What 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 kinds of things are you looking to take? Where so I'm I'm going to Prague next week. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm taking a anterior seric course. Uh, I, I'm at a stage, as I mentioned, where I'm trying to get away from doing general dentistry in the practice. So my goal right now is by the end of this year, by the end. So right now I do one filling a day. Okay. So I'm allowed to do one filling per day. <laughs> that's your that's your upper limit, huh? No, that's what we're allowed to do. I mean, that's what my team allows me to do is uh, one I filling okay. one filling per day because I can't hit my number if I do more than one filling a day. And I've limited my time in the practice to three days. So if I waste my time doing fillings, I'm not going to – like, how about this? And this is not, not a brag, but this is the, a fact. So we had a person come in to, uh, just last week that wants to get a smile done. And my next appointment is May, right? Which is not acceptable to me. So I'm, I'm working a Saturday or Sunday to make it happen. So I, I have to limit my fillings. But see, what I try to get people to understand is this has happened because of the decisions I made four or five years ago. The decisions to add technology, the decisions to expand my scope of services, the decisions to be committed to making sure that those services are an important part of my practice. And one of the big decisions, and I, I don't think you're quite ready for it, um, certainly yet, but you need to put it on your radar for the next year or two is, is you're going to need us, you're going to need an associate. Okay. And maybe that's a part time person because as you expand your scope of clinical services that you're able to offer, fillings and things like that are going to get in your way from a time perspective of you doing the things that you're capable of doing. Uh, so, so let me answer the question that you asked me. So because of that, my goal is by the end of this year for me personally not to be in any networks. Oh, okay. Okay. But my practice will be in network. Yep. I want to pick and choose the dentistry I do. But my practice will be a full service practice. Uh, so I'm, I want to be able to do same day smile makeovers and I want to have uh, control of that. So I'm going to take a anterior CERC course on digital smile design and eight to 10 unit uh, cases with my CERC machine at a high level. I dare never to say it's a quality of a lab because I've seen some of the lab things that they do. Uh, but a quality that, uh, that I would be proud of and a quality that I could, uh, give to my patients, my patients would be happy with. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I'll never be a master ceramist, nor do I think a CERIC machine spits as it spits it out is the quality of a master ceramist. Certainly, I think it can produce quality of that level uh, with the right operator behind it. Um, yeah. So that that's what I'm doing. And then um, I tried to sign up for one of Ashley Ladder's programs, uh, but it ended up not happening. So that's why I bought his books. Um, so we're going to Dentsply Serona World at the end of the year as a team in September. Uh, and then I'm going to take some, I'm going to probably retake, uh, Spears, fa- uh, Spears facially generated treatment planning this year. Okay. That, that is one of the things that I've wanted to do. Yeah. So I, I've taken uh, some other seminars from him and I've done a lot of the online stuff, but, um, I, I'm a big fan of online training, but I think one of the things online, like, how about this? I, I could put our sleep class online, but you wouldn't get the same thing out of it as being there. No, I'd agree with you there. Because yeah. a lot of it is in the interaction, the questions, the energy, and things like that. So I think that's one of the things that online training does lose is that energy and, and things like that. So Now, one of the other questions I was going to ask you is you talked about goals and limits for yourself in your own practice. 
you know, as things progress, that's part of what I try to do here in the practice. We try to set goals for everybody in the team and, and things. But how do you go about establishing those goals for yourself? I mean, because they've got to be constantly changing from where you were at as a young yeah. clinician to where you're at now. And so what do you use as your basis for setting goals or how do you establish them okay. for yourself? So philosophically, I believe dentists or people, generally speaking, are after one of three things. Uh, we want more money, we want more time, or we want more satisfaction. For me, I'm past the money stage. And when I say that, that doesn't mean I've got enough already. It just means that I, I don't need to make more. Okay. okay. So I, I don't, I don't measure my growth by growing monetarily. One of my big goals is, well, I've achieved this one is taking eight to 10 weeks off per year. Awesome. So my next goal is I'm going to measure my growth by being able to take an entire month off in the summertime to go somewhere with my kids while they're off, right? See, like, that's unrealistic for you, okay? Because literally, as a solo practitioner, you have to shut your practice down for a month. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If I'm not there, we're not making any money. So that comes back to the decisions I made five years ago to get there, right? I, I envisioned five years ago that I wanted to have more time than money. And so I made choices back then to be able to do that. And that involved an associate. To get an associate in, I need to be able to give them some of my dentistry to keep them fed and happy, which also meant I needed to add new dentistry to my practice, to what I do. Uh, so those are some of the things there. Uh, my other areas of growth for me now are what I can do for others around me. And, and so with that, for example, I, I, go, I go to team members, uh, not everybody, but uh, the ones I have good relationships with. And I just point blank say, write down your goal. What, what it is that you, what is it that you want? I learned a valuable lesson a few years ago when I tried to choose for people what they wanted. You know, what would drive them? And the easiest thing to do is just go to, go to your team members and ask them, Hey, what, what is it that you guys are after? What is it? What is it more that I can do for you that would make your life better? A lot of times they'll tell you money. And then I, I, I say, just ask them how much. I mean, how much more do you want to make? And if they say $100 a month, say, great. This is what we got to do to make $100 more a month. If they say $500 more, then great. This is what we got to do to get 500 And have a clear, transparent goal with them. And sometimes you'll be surprised. Like one of, one of my team members didn't say, I want more money. She just said, I want more time off. I said, okay. great. All right, no problem. Uh, I'll pay you the same. And this is, you can take more time off. Uh, but this is, this is, this is what it takes for the practice to be able to give that to you. So a lot of times it's about asking people what they want. And so that's some of my goals. Uh, like this year we added, uh, uh, health insurance for the team. So I pay half, half of the health insurance. Uh, last year we audited, added a retirement plan for the team. So those are some of the things that it's taken me time to get to. Th those are some of the goals I have right now. I think you you share some of the you're doing some of the things that I'd like to do at some point. Yeah, so it's, it's good to hear that the goals are reasonable. And but it, it takes time, right? But but yeah, but that's that, and I'll tell you too. That's my biggest fault is I'm not a patient person. If there's something I want, I want it now, and yeah, I want to do it now. And so for me, that's <laughs> been one of the hardest things is learning patience as an owner because you know you can't do everything you want to do on day one. And so I think it's being able to understand that and work towards certain things. But that's, listen, it's about budgeting. So here's a quick lesson, okay? In our motel business, we okay. budget 10%, not quite 10%, but let's call it 10% of our revenue towards future renovations. Okay? So when we get an edict from Holiday Inn, they're going to say to us, we need to change all our beds and all our TVs 
in a hundred rooms. Okay. The last time I checked, that's not a cheap amount of money. That's a half million dollars. So when that comes down, you got to have a half million dollars in cash to pay this. And you can't take from your current revenue. So what, what I'm trying to get dentists to do is, is to really start budgeting all the things in their life. And so I think you should budget, uh, your practice growth which is okay. CE, which is all kinds of different things, okay? In, in a growing practice like yours, in a growth phase practice, that number should probably be 8 to 10%. So 8 to 10% of your revenue needs to be put aside in a separate, like in an escrow account. Okay. And that way you have it. So then, hey, listen, at the end of the year, you may have 60, 70, 80, $100,000, whatever it is, that you can use for practice growth. And growth is not just CE. At some point, you're going to need new equipment, like you want a cone bean, so if mm-hmm. you if you actually had small chunks every month that you put away into an escrow account, some of the things that you want you could afford and you could visually you would see the you would see less stress in being able to do that. Because right now when you see X Y I want to do X Y Z, you're like, well, I got to pay for it all at once because you're, you're not necessarily escrowing the money out over a period of time. So even a few hundred dollars a month at the end of the year adds up. You know, or four or five hundred bucks a month for practice growth adds up at the end of the year. No, that's a fantastic idea. I had something so simple. I hadn't think about it. Are you are you saving for retirement or freedom? Uh, what I call freedom? Uh, not so because of my wife and I's arrangement. She does the saving. She's responsible for saving. I pay all the bills. Okay. So, yeah. but you but you know what's going on, right? Yeah, as a family, yeah, we do. Okay. Save as a family. And you have a number that in your mind of where you want to get to. Rough number, yep. I think okay. it's kind of always evolving, always changing. Based okay. Off and then you have a you have a set amount that you put away every month. Yep. Yep. That, like that it's is, like a bill. It is a bill. Yep. Every month okay. it comes automatically off the check, and, and that's something. Does I, it go I, up every quarter? It has not adjusted in the sense the first since we've been married, which is now almost two and a half years. All right. So so here's what I would say is right. make it a rule to have it go up every quarter. And I'm not talking about big numbers, like incremental jumps, like a hundred, two hundred dollars a month more. Okay. After quarter quarter one, and then quarter two, another hundred dollars. And next thing you know, every year you're putting away more, and and the, the, the it just compounds. Fantastic, yeah. So I I I make it to where I put a thousand dollars more per month in every year. Okay. So my my automatic, like I literally have a mortgage payment to my retire to my freedom fund. No, it, it's great. Yeah, it seems so straightforward because in a sense you never see the money, so you never you never miss it. No, I, I don't. I don't even know I do it. And so, <laughs> so I have it set up to where every month, every year, the number goes up a thousand dollars. Okay. And oh. and next thing you know, you just never notice it. Yeah, but but then, like you said, you look back at it at the year's end, and you know, you've got money available to do some of the things that yeah. you want to do. So for your freedom and or other things, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a thing I'll have to get implemented here relatively soon get things going and get that aspect of things working together well max i want to i want to you got anything else for me it was just a question because real quick how do you handle your staff turnover i I mean are you trained let me ask more specifically do you train in-house or do you have somebody that you utilize for training what how do you like to handle that because i know you do see a fair amount of turnover in your practice uh so we had a lot more turnover than we've I, so I made a decision in 2014 that I didn't like the direction of my practice. Uh, okay. so, so I only have two people left from 2014 in my practice now. And so we haven't had any turnover in the last year now, I want to say oh, roughly. Fantastic. So, fantastic. so we're, we're getting more stabilized there. I do have a feeling that 
We'll have some more turnover, uh, one or two positions in the next six months, but we're getting closer. I will tell you that if you, somebody were to ask me the area in my practice that I didn't put enough attention to when I needed to was having a bona fide, uh, uh onboarding process. Uh, how, how to bring people in. Even to this day, we, we don't have it. We just throw them to the wolves. You kind of train within and let, let them teach each other how to do things. Yeah. I wouldn't even call it train within. I th- we just throw them to the wolves. <laughs> we're, we're, I, I will tell you, I'm fortunate that I haven't run into this, but I foresee it at some point. It's going to be, you know, it, it, any practice runs into it inevitably. So I'm kind of trying to plan in advance for this particular thing. So I was just curious how you handle it within your yeah. track. So what I would suggest to you, since you're more of a millennial and things like that, is just yeah. record videos of what you want people to do. Okay. And then um, make it private on on YouTube. And then that way, when somebody onboards, you can just say, hey, go home and watch YouTube for, for three hours. Yeah. No, and it's, I already do it with the Facebook video, so it's it's not a hard process to do. It's just a matter of, like anything, I think just just actually doing it, and then even even recording uh, what your team members do all day long, you know, in ten minute snippets. Mm-hmm. No, that's you know, hey, here's how you make an appointment. Here's how you do an insurance benefit check. You know, and it starts with just writing down an outline of the different things somebody does, and mm-hmm. then and then literally recording a small video on how you do that. See, and I think for us, that, that's been the reason why you don't have, like, yours don't have a dedicated onboarding process to this point. But I think if we can just simply do it through video rather than having a Word document that they read, I think it'd go a long ways to getting it. Yeah, and, and people do better that way because inside of a video, there's inflection, there's emotion, and there's yeah. eye contact and body gestures and things like that. No, that's great. Okay. Well, Max, I want to let you get home to your wife and uh, all of that. And uh, I want to thank you for being on and uh, thank you for being so open and honest. And uh, uh, so so our listeners can know, how can if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way to – and what is the name of your practice and how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, so the practice is called Oracle Family Dental. We're actually – so we're just in a suburb of, of Tucson called Oro Valley, Arizona. But, yeah, if they wanted to get in touch with me, my phone number is 520 520- Nine seven five four nine six five, and then the email address that I best answer at is doctor period or so dr period Johnson DMD at outlook.com. You know the the more modern way of doing this is Gmail. Yeah, well, I have a Gmail account, but the Gmail account got inundated with ads and things from some of the vendors and things. And maybe the porn it. porn sites. <laughs> no, not even no, not not maybe say not yet. Uh, <laughs> not should if it is it's in the spam and i haven't seen it yet so but no so i created the the outlook one just so that i could simply answer things and, and be so i've got both i've got a dr period johnson at, D, at gmail and i've got one at outlook and the outlook is strictly for business emails and things like that so that way i can make sure to get them returned and get things uh, answered in a timely basis do you so uh, that, do you run google apps for your office i don't no not not yet i should say you should you uh, should switch your email server over to google apps Okay. Because you can do it at oraclefamilydentistry.com or whatever your website address is. So they uh-huh. can have Gmail accounts under that email, under that domain name. So they can use the Gmail app at home. And then, excuse me, then all your team members can get access to the drive. You can share oh. calendars and you can share, share Google Docs and everything that way. Be a little more efficient. Yeah, you can good. share the G Suite. So yeah. Perfect. Okay. 
So everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, I have two asks for you. Uh, number one is uh, if you can help grow our listenership by sharing our podcast, uh, that would be fantastic through your social media and email channels. And number two, if you can hop onto iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, and then I have a third uh, request. If you can uh, submit some questions to tbonespeaks.com, uh, that would be fantastic. Until next time, we will see everybody later. Thanks so much for listening to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal. Remember to keep striving for excellence and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hey, podcast family, T-Bone here. Are you a dentist looking to elevate your practice and profits? Then pay close attention. Introducing the 3D Business Mastermind the dental business coaching program designed for dentists who want to see real results. I've walked the path of practice ownership for nearly 25 years. I know your challenges. I felt your pain. This is your opportunity to overcome the chaos, the busyness, and the financial frustrations of owning a dental practice. Imagine a dental practice where your appointment book is highly productive, doing the dentistry you enjoy, your team is self-motivated, and your profits keep climbing. That's what the 3D Business Mastermind is all about. In this exclusive mastermind, you'll join a league of ambitious dentists driven to elevate their practices. You'll gain access to proven strategies, personalized coaching, and a community that understands your journey. So if you're ready to supercharge your dental practice and enjoy the success you deserve, visit www.3d-dentists.com and take the first step towards a brighter future in dentistry by filling out the 3D Business Mastermind application. Now, let's get to this week's episode.